every type of person comes here and they come here and they have a spiritual moment, whether they know it or not. They come here and they, they're expecting to shop, they're expecting, uh, they're either expecting to shop and they're finding a design museum or they're expecting a design museum and they're finding a very small design museum uh, because they just heard about the Chicago Design Museum and have this expectation that it's its own standalone building and that sort of thing. So when you show up, there's this moment of resetting your expectations and there comes this authenticity and I love that. Hey, this is Wills and Justin, and from the studio of Rule 29, this is Design Up. Our guest today is Tanner Woodford, the founder and executive director of the Chicago Design Museum. Enjoy. Well, wonderful. Tanner, thank you for joining our show. Thanks for having me. You know, we were just about to start having a conversation. Mm Mm-hmm about our podcast. So what, what, what were you going to say there? Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I've done a little research, not okay. very much. I just read a little bit this morning on the way in, and I'd just love to hear about it in your own words. Oh, nice. So I think the fact that he researched it all is a bonus. The fact that he knew what he was coming here to do is even Yeah, amazing. I mean, that's really... That's and it's really... also very rare for me to do that. <laughs> I walk into almost everything cold. Nice. Well, that's a great question. I think what you'll find is the reason we're doing the podcast, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here not to jump ahead in what you're going to say, will be something you'll appreciate. Sure. And that is, Wills and I are, um, of course, we work at Rule 29, mm-hmm. and we're really fascinated by this concept of, of story and the impact it makes and the people around us and taking time to slow down to actually um, spend a few moments to get to know people around us that we really admire and, and really hear their story. So I'm sure we're gonna talk about the Chicago Design Museum, but that's where we are right now. We're sitting in the, in the back of, your, uh, of the museum in your office. And I hope that we explore kind of where you got here. And so Design Of is about people and process. And as we desire to become better storytellers and to, to continue to explore curiosity and wonder. This is one of the things that we're hoping you bring. So no pressure. Yeah, sure. You know. <laughs> let's let's go back in history and talk about young Tanner. Baby Tanner. Baby Tanner. <laughs> so baby baby Tanner, where did you grow up? I'm Macomb, Illinois. I was born and raised on a farm. Uh, spent time between the farm and the and the city and the town. Okay, Macomb. That's Western. That's Western Illinois okay. University. Okay. So it's 200 miles south of Chicago. Okay. South, south uh, west. Okay. And uh, it's a great little town. Um, about 20,000 people when Western is in session. 10,000 when it's not. So there's this <laughs> fluctuation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that goes back and forth. And though I, I say that I I grew up on a farm. I was not good at the farm stuff. <laughs> I was in my room uh, playing around with uh, toys and tools, and uh, once the, the computer came, I was playing around with the, with the computer and then the laptop. And So what, what sort of farm things. stuff could you have done had you wanted to? Uh, so I had my arm broken by a cow. Hmm. Uh, and I, had, I was stepped on by a cow, kicked on my left, uh, my left um, knee. Um, so not much is what okay. I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could follow dad, I could follow my brother. Uh, and they were supportive and wanted to just sort of teach me different things, but uh, I couldn't go to a farm today and do anything. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from be a great, a great sort of second hand. Um, farmhand Tanner's mm-hmm. career was short, short lived. And then. Non existent. <laughs> you went from there to. Did you uh, go to college? Yep. So I ended up out at Arizona State. I was in Tempe, Arizona. I was out there for about seven or eight years. 
and um, it was an interesting transition. I, I followed a girl out and uh, worked out for a while and then didn't work out, and that's all good. And uh, ended up going to school and doing a lot of side projects, learning about the world. And uh, yeah. Why ASU? I mean, obviously you said you followed a girl, but... but ended up being an, inc- an incredible, crazy design school, and I lucked into that, did not expect that to, to happen. So I went and ended up uh, in school for five years, the first year, I showed up to one of the academic academic advisors that I wanted to make websites, and they put me in the game design department, and it was miserable. It was yeah. just not what I expected. So I spent a year in art school, which was amazing. Did color theory, did drawing, did photography, those sorts of things, and then transitioned to the design school, which is very it's sort of like UIC here. It's very regimented. It's a four-year program. It's a great school. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, because of the way that that school works, once you start, you have to go through all four years. There's no, you can't come and go and, and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I lucked into the fact that it was a, a really good design school and then just fully embraced it. And it completely shaped and changed who I was and who I am. As Tanner progressed through his college career at ASU, he led a number of design-related projects in his free time. One of the most notable was a collaboration with a close friend that eventually became one of the most popular design conferences in Arizona. And ended up founding a conference called Phoenix Design Week, and it was one of the first design weeks in the U.S. I think it was the second or the third at the Mm -hmm. time, something like that. Invited speakers in from all across the U.S. You've you've spoken at Phoenix Design Week. I have, yeah. I was honored to to be asked. Twice, right? Or just once? Well, it was supposed to be twice. That's supposed a sore spot for Mark because I had to commit and then I had a family thing coming. I was, I was one of those guys. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's bound to happen. Um, yeah, so we ended up uh, just trying to connect the mm-hmm. community better and uh, turn into a conference. Yeah. There's a better way to tell that story, but it's way too early on a Friday morning for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it sounds like you have a really thriving design community in, in Phoenix, anything else coming out of that time? Yeah, we did all, all sorts of things. So the, the big thing was that the conference sort of evolved and shapeshifted and, and took over different spaces mm-hmm. and kind of became more about being a conference. So it was yeah. gallery shows uh, that were related to Phoenix Design Week. It was experiences. Uh, they have First Fridays out there, which is a really big sort of uh, art gathering right. where they take over all these galleries. And uh, we, at one year, made these giant letters that's called Phoenix Design Week PHXDW and carried those around the city. And it became about just sort of connecting the community in different ways. Uh, I was also going through a really intense and rigorous design program at the time Mm -hmm. and was sort of uh, an overachieving there as well. So they have a big, uh, the senior class, senior graphic design class does a a gallery show every year to show Mm -hmm. off their thesis work. And I had taken over... uh, had worked on the space committee, had worked on the market, like some marketing committee stuff sure. and that kind of thing as well. So put myself into that. I was working full time. Uh, I got married uh, then. Just a lot. There was a lot going on. Wow. You got married then? Yeah. yeah. You had a lot going on. I had a lot going on. I think what people don't understand, well, let me rephrase that. I think what a lot of people don't experience or maybe even are exposed to is how incredibly artistic creative phoenixes yes and when you guys were there it's amazing you know because i i moved back in like 99 2000 right and uh we had an opportunity we have a lot of clients out there and so we're out there at least quarterly 
and I'm constantly blown away. It's amazing. And how just what a strong community that was. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the things, and I'm serious. Phoenix Design Week, and that, and the, you know, the conference you guys have. I think of the conferences I've been able to participate in. It's easily in my top three. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, I think it's because it's built by the community. It's everybody volunteers. Speakers really aren't paid. I mean, they fly, they fly speakers and sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the community, the, D, the, the DNA of the conference is the DNA of the community. And that's, that's sort of way to say it, yeah. feels similar here. It feels like we, even though I'm the executive director and I'm on the paid staff here, when a volunteer comes in and we trust them, we give them a budget, they make a recommendation, we go with the recommendation. You know, we might learn that it's wrong and change it, but we learn that together. Yeah. And the, I think that level of trust exists in that conference as well. So mm. when you go out there, you just feel connected. You just yeah. you feel like you're part of the, the culture. I had to move because of the weather. Yeah, I love well, the people. I know, but I, you know, I think I, I can look at my phone right now, but I think it's literally 115 there what? right now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm sure. So it's I'm going to put you on the spot here a little. Sure. Bit. Yeah. Tell me your perspective, experience, how you feel about AIGA. Uh, I love AIGA. I, I don't mean to just be really boosterish. I think that there are some problems, and I think that there are problems with every organization, including the Chicago Design Museum. Sure. But uh, I, I, I can't understate sort of how important it's been for my career to have joined the Arizona board. I never joined the Chicago board, but I volunteered a lot. I worked yeah. on this Chicago book, which you were mm-hmm. we talked about. Yeah. Uh, we've talked to, um, anyway. Uh, that's good. There's that's, always that's, more that's, room to be involved, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And I, I always wish that I was more involved. Uh, but a lot of respect for, for what AIJ is doing. Yeah. Well, t- let's circle back a little bit. I'd love to know, um, how did it how did it impact your career specifically? Like, can you think yeah. I, well, so one very specific thing is it taught me how to build a board. It taught me what a board looks like and how a community organization can recruit volunteers and manage volunteers and have a vision, but let the vision be impacted by other folks and that sort of thing. So I think that's a a very clear, if I were to look back at how AIGA has affected even just the Chicago Design Museum, it's those sorts of things. It's learning how to fundraise, it's learning what a good event is, it's learning how to be hospitable at a good event, a lot of those things. And as we've built the museum, we've, we've sort of taken a step back and learned that you know, not everything that an organization like AIGA or AIA or any, any other professional organization does right. doesn't make sense for a museum. So certain things we have to try to do differently. Um, but aside from that, just really just thinking about collaboration, thinking about uh, support for different types of design, design at different moments in-house design versus uh, sort of agency or even freelance or independent design, and just sort of understanding the landscape. Tell me a little bit your perspective. I mean, if, sure. if you have one on AIJ National, like what can that organization do? Uh, you know, for things like Chicago Design Museum or just membership as a whole. Visibility, I think, is the biggest thing we could, we could use from National. Uh, I've been part of uh, I've been a part of National when I joined a committee two or three years ago when the building sold. Uh, that was about science influence, and it was really exciting to take a step back and say. Now that we don't have a gallery in New York and we have assets, what what are the possibilities? How can we use those assets to highlight other chapters and also other cities that, that aren't necessarily affiliated with AIGA? And it feels like just sort of the, the scale of National and the way that National has a has tentacles uh, in, in every city and in lots of cities. 
60, 65 chapters, 75 chapters? 70 plus, yeah. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And just being able to tell stories and, and hear stories from those folks and just sort of serve as a, as a looking glass, I think is, is important. I can't think of many other organizations, volunteer or nonprofit organizations that have that kind of reach. Mm. For those of you who may not know, AIGA is the American Institute of Graphic Arts, the professional organization for the wide and broad field of graphic design. AIGA has been a huge resource for designers practicing in the U.S. and has been a committed supporter of Tanner's work at the Chicago Design Museum. One of the things AIGA, I think, has done really well is preserve the, the history of American design, uh, American graphic design, and they have an incredible archive. Yeah. Do you see value in that? I do. It's in it's at the Denver Art Museum, isn't it? Largely? I believe so. Yeah. And some is probably in New yeah. York and maybe mm-hmm. spread around. I think there's a ton of value in that, especially for organizations with the history that AIGA has, the hundred year sort of centennial history. I do think it's uh, it's very important to 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 remember our history and to look back at it. More important to remember our process and look back at that. So we're not making the same mistakes and we're and we're sort of learning and doing things better that we've done previously. Um, I think that there's the biggest problem I see with some of these collections is that they don't show things and they don't make things accessible. But there's also value in that. There's value in taking things and really just sort of preserving our history. Uh, I have a lot of respect for locally the Newberry Library. They've got an amazing collection and you can check things out and take them to a reading room and flip through them. You can find original sketches from Oswald Cooper drawing mm. Cooper Black. Oh, I didn't know that. It's incredible. And they just hand you a file and you flip through them and then when you're done you fold them up and put them back. And they wow. have uh, like Carlos Segura and Rick Malcenti and but also more contemporary Nick Adam and they just started a file on the museum and you can just walk in and then just pull these things and some of them are you can pull Gutenberg Bible and flip through that and it's it's really it's impressive uh, that one they might they might watch a little <laughs> more closely so I think that the I, I do think that the work that AIGA has preserved is is very important. As a longtime and active member of AIGA, Tanner is a trusted voice in helping the organization move forward as the world of design progresses. That's my biggest question is how does a 100-year-old organization look toward the future and, and what are the next steps and how do you move forward confidently when the world is changing as much as, as it is right now? Yeah. And I, I, I don't think you have those answers, but I, that's when I think about AIGA National, that's what I think about is how do we evolve from not only print design to digital design, which is a conversation that I know has been happening at AIGA for uh, at least five years, if not longer, but also just how do you how do you evolve to be an organization that's going to last another 100 years? How do you evolve to be an organization that sort of at its core is about collaboration or is about whatever, I, I don't know, community, I guess. Yeah. How do, you, how do you keep those tenants but shift away from the specific sort of uh, print design tenants? Yeah. Yeah, nothing is driving me crazy. It's okay. Okay, there's there's not much we can do about that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, um, I think what's really interesting to me as well is that it is about community. Sure. And there's power there, but you and I had board experiences, right? And mm-hmm. so, for those people who are on boards and experience AIJ at a deeper level, it becomes really a beautiful, inspiring. Um, part of your career yeah and so what does it look, look like for those who aren't as on the board level right and yeah. so I think it's an exciting and terrifying time at the same time right you know is to uh, be a part of helping that you know steer into uh, you know a new era absolutely pretty great yeah.
Not sure many people know this, but my co-host is actually on the AIGA National Board. Isn't that right, Justin? Yep, it's quite an honor. And Tanner, in typical engaging conversationalist Tanner fashion, had a few questions about Justin's vision for his time on the board. How do you imagine your impact on the National Board will affect uh, Chicago? And, and I say Chicago, but I also mean yeah. Arizona and Alaska and yeah, Cincinnati yeah, yeah. and other chapters, I guess. Well, I feel if I can help AIJ provide more clarity to what we mean as an organization around Design for Good, you know, it's, uh, you know, I believe it's an ethos, it's a, it's a perspective, um, it's a view that design can actually change the world at different levels. Mm-hmm. And world can be your local community, your you know, the globally. So I'm hoping that I can help provide clarity, tools, pathways, and understanding and inspiration about the impact of design that could, you know, trickle down to all members. That would be amazing. So it's not so much about, right at the moment at least, about specific programs. I'm sure it will be at some point. It's more about just looking at how the organization acts as an organization that's doing good. Is that sort of what I'm hearing? Well, it's really yes and no. Sure. I think often in the past, organizations take a phrase or a, a viewpoint like design for good and they say it's a program. I see. And I, it's, it's not a program. I it's see. really, it's, it's an approach, it's a way of thinking, it's a methodology. Um, it could be programs as well, but I think we try to, you know, sort of package it and brand it and kind of set it off into the world and hope it, you know, kind of takes root and grows. That's powerful. And, 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 that's, and that, that works for certain things, but I think design for good is bigger than that. Sure. And you know, helping kind of create the parameters outline of that is, is what I'm hoping to be a part of. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I think design is bigger than that as well. I think design is, I, I say this often, but I believe that design is the fundamental improvement of the human condition. At its core, design is about making life better for everybody through small decisions, through small acts. You don't make design better through sort of opening a nonprofit through opening a community-based organization. I think large-scale corporations, international cor- organizations, um, everybody has a responsibility to make our time on this planet better, and our time after we're off this planet better. And that's what design is, and that's what design has the power to do. So I ended up moving back to Chicago uh, in 2012, must have been, 2011 maybe, 2011 because the Phoenix Design Museum was in 2011. So I moved back in 2011, and that year, uh, the year before, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. Mm. So I moved home to be closer to her. It was a very selfish decision at a time when I was doing a lot professionally uh, in Arizona, and it was the best decision I, I think I ever made. Why a design museum in Chicago? That's a great question. Uh, why not? And that's, that's also <laughs> a great question. We didn't know it was going to be a design museum. So what happened was I, I came back here for mom and also I worked at Morningstar, so I got a great offer. Morningstar, I worked there for about four years and then worked on the design museum on the side. Uh, one year, it must have been in 2012, I uh, called six friends over to my apartment and we had a conversation about what Chicago needs. So is it a design museum, is it a magazine, is it a blog, is it events, uh, workshops, lecture. I mean, there's, we had this long conversation about all the things that it could be. Sure. Eventually realized that after three months of talking and planning that Chicago is very culturally rich 
and there isn't a design museum, but there's a very strong design community. And we were, at the time, the six of us were graphic designers. We were rooted in the AIGA. We also knew that there was SEGD and AIA and IXDA and all of these acronyms, not to count the schools, but there's a very rich design community Mm -hmm. here, and they're not really talking to one another. The graphic designers are talking to themselves, the architects are talking to themselves, and then nobody's really talking to the public unless you're serving the public or you're building a building that they're going to work out of or that sort of thing. So we just saw an opportunity to uh, to, to connect those folks, uh, less eloquent ways to say to grease the wheels and to, <laughs> to get everybody really just sort of moving together and uh, spent three months planning our first pop-up, which is crazy. So three months, I mean, raising the money, writing the contracts, deciding how many exhibitions we were going to have, how the, the space we needed to host those exhibitions, deciding that we needed a store, figuring out how to do point of sale, then figuring out who's going to sell in the store, uh, and all of that work. It was really, really intense, and we all had full-time jobs. So it was the smallest we'd ever, ever been. We raised, I think, $15,000 at the time, uh, spent all of that, and then raised some money in the space as well, and then spent that money to do fundraising events for local organizations and to think about our impact. So it was really just a case study in, and, and learning about the community and learning what the community needs. Uh, we very quickly learned that not only is a design museum uh, desired here, it's needed here. We had a thousand people at the opening party and 500 people came throughout the month. Wow. And this was in Humboldt Park across from the impound, bolt holes in the windows, yeah. no parking, uh, no trains, and 500 people still found us, including people that traveled to Chicago specifically to see the show. Uh, it was wow. really exciting. It's very exciting. Exciting might be an understatement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it changed everything. Uh, Mom died 24 hours before we opened the doors. Mm. Uh, my grandfather, thank you. My grandfather two months prior, my niece two months later, and then I got a divorce two months after that. So life got real <laughs> very quick. Uh-huh. And uh, so I wasn't around because she passed so soon to us opening the doors. I wasn't around for two or three weeks before we opened the doors, which meant, in retrospect, uh, ended up being a really important thing for the museum. The community flooded in to help us. They flooded in to, to open the doors, to figure out where the works go, to figure out you know, when the events are, to figure out all of that minutia. And minutia is also probably the wrong word, but through that process, the community became part of our DNA. And I was sort of alluding to this earlier, but the the community became uh, the reason that we existed, but also our driving force. And that was really exciting, and that hasn't changed. So even though we've scaled up now, and we have staff, and we have shows all year, we're not just a one-month pop-up, uh, we still rely very heavily on the community for every aspect of the organization. So there's a lot of positivity comes from these things, and you have to you don't realize that in the moment. You realize that after the fact. What would you say is um, kind of distinctive about Chicago design and and the people that flock to these types of events uh, from a cultural standpoint? It's a great question, and it's one I'm asked often, and I never really have a great answer. Uh, I would say today's answer is grit. I think there's a lot of grit in Chicago, and there's a lot of sort of DIY, I hate the term DIY culture, but there is a DIY culture here. There's a, oh, a design museum doesn't exist, we're going to make a design museum, you know, and uh, there's this constant sort of reevaluation of of what's going on in the city, and I think it comes from sort of how the city itself was formed, being Mm -hmm. in the center of the states. Uh, there was a lot of progress on the coasts, and then we got a rail system. The rail system brought a lot of that progress into the center of, this, of, the, of the country, and then exported ideas back out. And it's just sort of, we've always been, 
I was going to say reactionary, but I actually don't think we've always been reactionary. I think a lot of times we've also led the charge, mm-hmm. uh, but we've 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 changed and evolved and existed, and yeah. it comes from this place of just solving problems and having grit. So Chicago Design Museum has been open for how long now? Five years. Five years. This is our fifth year. I love how it's always evolving. I love how it's always changing. I love the community. I love the people. I love the spirit. There's a really sort of strong entrepreneurial spirit. There's a lot of confidence. There's also a lot of uncertainty. I love sort of the, I love coming to work every day. Actually, that's probably it. I love coming to work every day. There's mm-hmm. always something different happening. There's, um, let me tell so I've struggled a little bit with becoming, I started as a volunteer. We all started as volunteers here, but I started as a volunteer seven or eight years ago, started thinking about the strategy, started thinking about what the museum would become, uh, doing long-term planning, and then none of that came true, and everything changed. Um, now I'm not a volunteer, and it's a full-time job, and there are parts of the job that are really tedious and terrible, writing contracts, writing budgets, making sure we're not going to close the doors in six months, and thinking through a lot of those details, which are, are new to me. So I've had to really start to... to balance that and to rationalize that and I started to think about my day job my volunteer job at the museum so I often ask to volunteer for other organizations and usually do I don't take a lot of long-term commitments just because I don't know what's going to happen here and I I don't want to drop the ball someplace else and commit to something that I can't follow through on Uh, so I think about volunteering here and how that manifests itself is generally nine to five or ten to six or whatever it is I come in here and I do the boring jobby job stuff I come in here and I write contracts and I uh, sort files and I answer emails and do all the junk that is really not fun and then when I go home I still work but I only do the stuff that I'm really passionate about so I build the website I think about events I think about our new ventures I look into the future and I do the volunteer parts which eventually become the day job parts mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of when I think about the things that I'm really proud of here it's the fact that we are constantly re- reevaluating. it's the fact that it's different every day it's a neutral space, it's welcoming, it's open, it's free and open to the public. We have homeless people come through and we love that. We have families and tourists. We have, uh, uh, for lack of a, I guess homeless isn't very um, persecular, but we have rich people that come through. We have the, like every, every type of person comes here and they come here and they have a spiritual moment, whether they know it or not. They come here and they, they're expecting to shop, they're expecting uh, they're either expecting to shop and they're finding a design museum or they're expecting a design museum and they're finding a very small design museum uh, because they just heard about the Chicago Design Museum and have this expectation that it's own standalone building and that sort of thing. So when you show up, there's this moment of resetting your expectations and there comes this authenticity. And I love that. It's really, really exciting. And I think the things that I would change are... Um, oh boy, there's so much. I think that we still have a lot of work to do in making design, making, I think design is a household word, that's what I was going to say, but shifting the culture of design. I think there's a lot of work to do still in shifting the culture of design, and shifting the culture of design to not only be a household term, but also to have sort of a more full understanding of what design can do for the layman or the laywoman, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's a really hard question. It is a hard question. And it's one that I think about all the time. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) It's one that we think about all the time. So... When you think about the future of this place, what do you see? That's also a great question. Um, it's, it's changed a lot. So when I first opened the museum, I imagined the MCA. I imagined mm-hmm. a massive building with three or four major exhibitions and smaller exhibitions that are constantly changing and a place that 
I imagine it being a place that was just part of the Chicago landscape. And the more that I've sort of worked here, the more I've realized that uh, as Matt Turdich, our, our second employee and our executive creative director often says, a museum doesn't just fall from the sky. A museum doesn't just, the MCA doesn't just happen. It takes 30, 40, 50 years to get to that, to that scale. And uh, now I hope we become more integrated into the cultural landscape in Chicago. You know, there are things like the Chicago Architecture Biennial that didn't exist when we opened, and now they exist. So the easy thing is to compete with that. The easy thing is to say, well, that's what we want to be. We want to be in the cultural center. We want 250,000 visitors in the last three months of the year. But the, the healthy thing to say is, oh my goodness, that's so good for Chicago. That's so good for Chicago design and design in general, and it raises the tides for us. Let's partner and let's figure out how we can benefit from that, but also how we can add value to that. And that's the sort of space that we occupy now, is how do we welcome design conversations across disciplines, across the city, and not compete with it, but also make it better and benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope the museum becomes. So one sort of very clear case study of what I thought we, I thought we would be the MCA, and we ended up in a shopping mall. Mm. And that was a very hard thing to deal with at first. And we ended up here, and then we, we, we learned the opportunity was to talk to people that weren't expecting to find us. And that's mm. when the mission, the mission literally changed. That's when I got super exciting. We started, our, our, the mission changed to creating unexpected cultural experiences, which it's not that anymore. Now it's about strengthening the design culture and building community. Uh, but we, we changed to creating unexpected cultural experiences, and we started thinking about those cultural experiences outside of the mall. So mm. the great ideas of humanity, uh, going to Hong Kong and doing a design show, which we did last year, and just all the different um, all the different ways that we can impact Chicago's culture without being the MCA or being right. the Art Institute or something of that scale. And I imagine that it's hard to imagine the future because we're so reactionary, we're so in the moment, mm. and we respond to the changing tides. Mm. And the tides are changing now more than I think I've ever ex ever experienced. Mm. How can people support the museum? Uh, be a fan. Be a member. Memberships are sixty bucks a year. Half price for students. Um, come to shows. Follow us online. Uh, beyond that, just sort of think about your role as a designer or a design lover, and think about uh, how to make the world a better place. So, if this place disappeared, what would you want to do? Yeah, that's something I think about often because we. <laughs> the, the world is pretty tumultuous, um, including funding sources and everything. I mean, everything is changing. You know, yeah. it's it's terrifying and exhilarating. Um, I would probably teach. I don't think I could have a boss again. It's it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> Tanner, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks thank for coming. You. It was so much fun. You bet. Thank you so much, Tanner. And if you find yourself in the Chicago Loop be sure to stop into the Chicago Design Museum. It's located at Block 37, 108 North State Street, third floor, Chicago, Illinois. And also check out one of Tanner's newest projects. So the, the big idea is that once a week I publish a letter for Chicago Design Museum members that uh, has somebody write it, answering the question, what is worth preserving in their own handwriting. Tanner recently published a book of those responses titled, What's Worth Preserving, which you can purchase on the Chicago Design Museum website. We'll put a link in the show notes. Design of is brought to you by the Studio of Rule 29, and a sponsor for this episode is Ink Dot. 
the Chicago-based startup that enables you to print your favorite memories from your phone, computer, Instagram, on wood, metal coasters, pillows, and more. Get started at inkdot.com. We'd like to thank Steve Wick, our audio engineer, for his expertise behind the console. You know, oh, Justin? expertise. Yeah. Steve is like that sigh of relief after you complete a project you've been working on for years. So, so true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Barry. And speaking of working on a project for years, this is the final episode of Design of Season 3. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on this journey so far, and we can't wait to show you what we have planned for 2018. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Wills, Wills, wait, 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 wait. We can't stop. You forgot again. I forgot what? What do we want people to do after they listen to this episode? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Everyone, be sure you give us a rating on iTunes. We love those five-star reviews. And if you're so inclined, follow us on Twitter at Podcast, And check us out on our new and improved Rule 29 website, rule29.com slash designofpodcast. See? That wasn't so hard. Yeah, maybe not.